Analytics with Mike Lewis, the podcast where we talk about everything you need to know about sports analytics. Here's your host, Mike Lewis, marketing professor at Emory University. Hey, welcome, everyone. Welcome to the Fandom Analytics or the Fanalytics podcast with Mike Lewis and Douglas J. Battle of Emory University, brought to you by the Marketing Analytics Center. Okay, Doug, we did not do a lot of pre-discussion about the world of sports before we started, but you told me you're ready, which I think means that I'm ready to go. on this day after the Super Bowl, you got something to say. I mean, it's the Super Bowl. What's what? What? There's so much to talk about. There's so much to talk about. We've got. I mean, we could do a whole episode on ads. We could do a whole episode on Matt Stafford or Joe Burrow or the Bengals or the Rams, a recently relocated team. There's so much to talk about. Uh, it's gonna be hard to squeeze it into one episode. Well, what do you want to do? You want to start with the game, or you want to start with the peripheral activities? Oh, and I, I didn't even mentioned the halftime show yeah uh, which i know you had some interest in but yeah let's start with the peripheral activities let's okay start with that you want to start with the show or you want to start with the ads oh we'll go ads. or you want to start with the masking controversy i mean let's throw uh, the masking yeah. controversy out the yeah ads we'll or throw show. that one out we'll throw that one out i know a lot of people are up in arms as always about yeah any kind of controversy they can find to be up in arms about um ads so the most i i felt like the biggest winner in my opinion, and it could also be just as easily viewed as the biggest loser was the the uh, Coinbase ad with the bouncing QR code that was very minimalistic, and it just kept going and going. They bought a whole minute of advertisement, and the reason I thought it was so great was because I was watching at a Super Bowl party, as mo- many people do for the Super Bowl. And I, I had to go back like, this morning and rewatch a lot of the ads. I was looking at the list of top ads, this and that, because when you're in a room full of 50 people, I mean, uh, less than 10 people, and we're very socially distanced, um, you uh, you don't necessarily hear the audio or, or follow the storylines with these kind of cinematic ads and these larger than life budget ads. And so I feel like the crypto doc or not crypto.com, the uh, Coinbase ad really catered to that because you're in a room full of 50 people and you're used to all this noise. And then it is like, it's pretty quiet and there's just this QR code and everyone's kind of like, huh, I wonder what that is. And it just kept bouncing around and everyone got a little bit curious and people start pulling out their phones and they scan the code. And I, I imagine the engagement rate was very high. The reason I think it could have been viewed as a loser was that when I actually clicked on the link uh, within Coinbase's app, this site had crashed because the server <laughs> couldn't handle how many people were clicking on it. How are you not prepared for that? I don't know. But uh, I, it was definitely a breath of fresh air in a Super Bowl where it feels like everyone's trying too hard. Okay, and I think I texted you that during the game that to me there's a there's a Super Bowl ad formula that it's it's exhausting to me. And the Super Bowl <laughs> ad formula is you take some cultural reference point, you add celebrities, and then you try mm-hmm. too hard. Mm-hmm. Right, and so to it, it's interesting that they all kind of blend together after a while. What did you think of the other, the other big crypto ad that I've seen yeah. often on the list of the Super Bowl losers, and that's the LeBron James Crypto dot com fortune fortune favors the brave. I guess is what they're calling it. Yeah, uh, Crypto dot com has spent so much money in marketing advertising. 
in the last year. So you got to take your hat off to him because this is an entity that was not really on anyone's radar a year ago. And now it seems to be, at least in the sports world, one of the dominant sponsors. Uh, I think the brand awareness is at definitely an all-time high. Hey, but, hey, they got the right word, didn't they? Right. I mean, I don't know that people generally even know what Crypto.com is, but it's the right <laughs> word. Yeah. Yeah. So the LeBron commercial was interesting because it, it didn't advertise the function of the app or the website um, or even cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology in any shape or form. It was kind of focused on LeBron's character and the somewhat CGI version of his younger self. Doug, let me ask you a question about, and, and look, I think when evaluating ads, everything is fair because the public gets to respond. How You know, the advertisers don't get to determine how you react to the ad. Is it being incredibly brave to go directly to the NBA and sign a multi-million dollar contract and be the first overall draft pick? Is that a path of extraordinary courage? Or is that winning a lottery? No. Yeah, no. And there were there were a couple ads like that that just didn't like if you sit there and think about it too hard, it doesn't connect with the message that the ad's supposed to make. I think another example was Zeus, uh, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who is tired of charging things so much with his electricity powers, and he's gifted an electric vehicle, which relieves him of that, even though, like, presumably he's probably going to have to still use his electric powers to charge it. There are just some like that where it's like they're trying really hard, but it, it doesn't really add up to, to the message they're trying to convey. And I think uh, Crypto.com, I've, I've seen quite a few criticisms of both them and FTX for essentially, I, I guess, kind of having a negative approach to their advertising. Don't miss out. Don't <laughs> don't be the person that l- loses by not getting in. But the LeBron ad, first off, LeBron is very divisive in the first place. Secondly, yeah, it's not like LeBron took any huge risks in his career, any kind of risk of any kind to go to the NBA and make millions of dollars as an 18-year-old. So... I don't know exactly what they were trying to get to with that other than just to get your attention with like, wow, that CGI looks a lot like 18-year-old LeBron. You know, it's interesting when you bring up uh, the Schwarzenegger ad because my takeaway from this, from the whole from the whole game in every ad was that that seemed to be what they all went for. They signed a celebrity. Mm-hmm. They were all just trying to get the best celebrity and then build the ad around it. And And it's almost like they were getting the celebrity before they even knew the product they were going to advertise for. Right. And, right. And there's several, um, you know, here's a funny one. Did you remember the one where Steve Buscemi is, uh, and I'm not sure I said his name right, but where he was working at the bowling alley and Peyton Manning came in yep. to bowl. And then Serena Williams came into bowl. Yep. Do you yep. even remember what that one was for? No. And that's the problem with a lot of these. Uh, that one might have been like a beer. It's Michelob Ultra. <laughs> Michelob, yeah. Um, but even the the Zeus one, I'm thinking, okay, it was it had to do with somebody's going all in on electric cars. I don't. I mean, it's not Tesla because it's one of the. I, I think it was. I think, and remember, I'm a marketing professor getting ready for a post Super Bowl podcast, so I'm taking notes during the game. I'm pretty sure yeah. it was BMW, but I'm not positive. <laughs> 
Yeah, but that's that's the thing. You're not positive. It's like ah, oh, BMW, Mercedes, they're all doing the same thing. It's almost like you're advertising for your entire market mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're BMW in that. If you're not very clear about d- separating yourself or differentiating yourself from competitors, I thought you know the Dolly Parton, Miley Cyrus. That's another one where it was kind of hard to follow in a noisy room. But they at least singled out their competitors, so <laughs> yeah. and they they've really emphasized their branding. You knew exactly which part of the market they were advertising and which ones okay. they were marketing against. But Doug, again, and I don't even want to be that negative about the Super Bowl advertising. But I think you know, given that they have all these cultural touch points here, I'll give this away to next year's Super Bowl ads. Do something with the theme of jumping the shark. Have a bunch of celebrities jump the shark. Because I think we've all, Doug's looking at me, and I'm going to have to explain Jump the Shark from the 1970s <laughs> happy days in a second here. I'm just thinking of the Florida coach and the shark. That's, <laughs> that's all I see. Well, in the happy days, they had an episode, Fonzie, Arthur Fonzarelli, sort of this, again, this is like this is like one of those things as a 50-year-old professor starts to talk to the millennials or the Gen Zs and wants to stop as soon as he starts to get in too deep. But happy days turned a corner when Fonzie got on water skis and jumped a shark. It was like too far. Yeah. Uh, the Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus, I guess it was a takeoff on sort of one of these we are the world kind of concepts, but for 5G phones, it, <laughs> it, it, you can say, you know, these things fall apart if you think about them too deeply. <laughs> I, I think if you're awake, they fall apart, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Colin Jost and Scarlett Johansson. I thought that one was. I guess somewhat clever. I don't know. I clever to me was years back when Tide did the ad with the dude that played Hopper in Stranger Things, the cop, the kind of dad bod guy, and he's. They make every ad feel. They started off like it's going to be a beer, a kind of stereotypical beer ad, and then it turns into a Tide ad, and they're like, "Hey, if the clothes in the commercial are clean, it's a Tide ad." And then I had you thinking during every commercial whether whether or not it might be an advertisement for Tide. So they hijacked the entire Super Bowl that year. I like that. I like Coinbase doing something just totally different. All, Like you said before, all these other ones I kind of get meshed together in my head. Okay, Doug, um, I'm going to tell you the one that I don't want to like it, but I like it. Okay. <laughs> the, ro- the Rocket Mortgage ad where Barbie is making a Barbie. bid on a house. It felt like an SNL sketch. <laughs> and... Some for some reason they decided they they their celebrity draw and the celebrity draft was Anna Kendrick, yeah. And the ad ended with showing a He-Man Skeletor castle. I thought I think it's the perfect Super Bowl ad though. It's yeah. It, it like I said, it felt like an SNL sketch. It felt like they that's what it felt like, and they just threw branding. There was a random stock X QR code in the middle of that one. I don't know if you saw that. Like one of the kids had a QR code on his shirt. But but speaking of QR codes, huge comeback. They they were kind of written off at one point. Now they're in Super Bowl ads and they're being used for menus at restaurants. I think the pandemic brought QR codes back. Okay, I got I got two more and then we can move on to the half halftime show. <laughs> okay. Okay. And I saw one of these, and again, I've, I've been scanning articles to seeing how other folks rated them. And I can only think that the ratings of the Alexa ad are somehow being influenced by payoffs from Amazon. Okay, so Doug, they ran an ad where Alexa has the unfortunate power of reading people's minds. Okay, so for a device that is rumored to be 
spying upon people. And a company that is heavily investing in AI to use all of your information to anticipate what you're going to ask Alexa. Do you want to run an ad talk, essentially speculating that Alexa may someday be able to read people's minds? See that that's where some of these products, it's like they touch, they tapped into the disturbing part of the product. And that was the Alexa one and the meta. Did you see that metaverse one with the animatronics that, that end up in this weird, uh, they lose their jobs as animatronics and they all reconnect in the metaverse with these headsets on f that Facebook or meta had put together in this torso only metaverse that they were now reconnecting in. And I, I saw that and was like, I want no part of that. I don't want, I don't want to be without legs in some metaverse with a bunch of animated versions of animatronics that are very creepy looking. Um, and yeah, Alexa reading the mind and pr presumably ruining a marriage. <laughs> um, I don't know. Even uh, if we're going to stay, this is maybe a little lighter than that, but Pringles getting stuck, the Pringles can being too thin to reach into and getting stuck. It's like, that's the worst part of the product. Yeah. And that's what they highlighted. So, I mean, I, I thought that one was at least, at least a self-aware funny, whereas it felt like meta and uh, Amazon may have lacked that self-awareness. Okay, and, and the last one, Doug, and I, I like this story because, I don't know, it, it's, it might be the perfect 2022 example because I don't fully understand what's going on. So the Lord of the Rings trailer uh, that Amazon put out there, apparently, and, and they put this on YouTube and all over the place, is seems to be either, depending on which version of the story you're going to listen to, universally hated by Lord of the Ring fans to the point where they had dis disabled negative <laughs> feedback on YouTube. Or, if you want to buy this other explanation, it was attacked by Russian bots. So Vladimir okay. Putin is attacking Amazon's Lord of the Rings prequel. I don't fully know what to make of it, but I like this story a lot. You can blame Russian bots for anything that happens on the internet that you don't like. If I'm a brand and, and, <laughs> and my ad is tanking, I'm blaming the Russian bots for sure. Or if I'm a politician, uh, not to go that route. But yeah, the Lord of the Rings, I will say this. I was not surrounded by Russian bots at the Super Bowl party I watched the game at. I was, to the best of my knowledge, surrounded by human people. And as soon as that ad started, somebody said, what is this? And then it said something on the screen about before the fellowship or before the ring or before. And they said, surely this isn't Lord of the Rings. This looks like a video game. And then when it revealed that it was Lord of the Rings, the person goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very clearly a Lord of the Rings fan that didn't want the J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, legacy stomped all over for, for corporate greed. But that seemed to be the reception from the Lord of the Rings fans in the room that I was in. Um, and my thought about that show is that we've already had, uh, the, first off, the Lord of the Rings movie was a little bit, the movies were a little bit of a cash grab based on the books. The books are art that was designed okay. as a piece of art. The movie was a little bit of a cash grab, but it was such a success and everyone loved it to the point that that's now viewed as the standard. And then well, they okay. did prequels. Prequels already films, the Hobbit films, which they stretched one book into three films, and 
the Lord I think of the Rings fans four. were not. Wasn't it four? I, I don't know. I lose well, track. And, but and you've read The Hobbit, right, Doug? Yes. The Hobbit's like a 150-page kids book that they stretched yeah, exactly. into four films. They stretched it, stretched it out, and which felt like a big cash grab. Um, and it felt ingenuine, but people still went to it. And now they're doing a prequel to the prequel, and it's going to be the most expensive show in Amazon history. I don't know. I, I could be wrong here. I don't know if the story is even pulled from any original text by the original author. My understanding is they have notes. Okay. But just looking at this, and look, there's a there's a deep fandom story in, in all this, right? I mean, Lord, it, it's, it's sort of fascinating what they're doing, right? Buildings, you take Lord of the Rings fandom, Tolkien, that is as strong as a, and as powerful as it gets in some ways, right? There's a massive fan base there. These people are steeped in the lore. They know everything. They've seen all the movies. And you take that, and I can only guess, that you add a little Harry Potter to it. You add some Game of Thrones to it. Yeah, exactly. And you put it out there. And I can't imagine that's a successful strategy. We'll find out. I mean, we'll find out how the show uh, fares. Obviously, they've poured a lot of money into it. Well, Doug, you're a Star um, Wars it, it, fan, so the first thing you do yeah. when you buy a massive brand is you alienate all the existing fans and replace them with new fans. Apparently so. Star Wars is a great example where Disney took Lucasfilm. They basically, they looked at the success of Marvel since originally Iron Man, Tony Stark, Robert Downey Jr. From that film on, how Marvel has become this empire that is never-ending. There's unlimited amounts of stories that can be told. And they said, look at Star Wars. It's just wasting away over there. It's got the same connection with fans that Marvel has with its fans. And let's do the same thing. Let's make endless stories. Let's just milk this thing for forever. And that's what Disney's trying to do with very mixed results. (laughs) Very mixed results. And it seems like, you know, Amazon may have seen the Lord of the Rings franchise now finished up with the films and looked, maybe seen the success of Game of Thrones and felt like we could tap into that. It's the same type of thing. We already have a core fandom. There seems to be these new fans that are fans of other things that are somewhat similar. We could stretch this into a series. I don't know. Doug, as a a guy of a certain age and a Lord of the Rings fan, as much as I'm a fan of anything, I could not be less excited about this series. (laughs) I'm not excited. I might have... I, I don't know if I ever would have been excited about the concept. My thing is these stories, same with Star Wars. There's kind of this ultimate good and evil yeah. main story. And then when you start attaching these auxiliary stories, they feel less and less important because they're they're not part of that ultimate story. It's just little tiny remnants of it in the sequels or little previews, little hints of it in the prequels. Uh, it never feels as ultimate. It never, it never lives up to the hype. And you know, Mandalorian, I think, is something that Star Wars fans, like legit, like 1970s Star Wars fans, actually enjoy um, as much as they hated the sequels and even the Boba Fett show that recently came out. But so maybe that's a good example of how it could work. But hey, it's interesting when you brought up, and I know you're talking in a different sense, but. Uh, when you mention the word good versus evil, because that is actually how the fans or the Russian bots are attacking the trailer with mm-hmm. a J.R.R. or is it J.R.R. Tolkien or are they yep, using J.R.R. Right. Martin? Um, 
that evil cannot create anything new. And, and, and so it, it, it's a, like I said, it's a fascinating or interesting thing to watch this cherished property being taken over. And probably it's a lot like Star Wars with the, but even with more of a history and a literary mm-hmm. history. Yeah. So we'll have to see how this plays out. Okay, Doug, now I do definitely want to get your take on the Super Bowl show. Uh, are you interested in my take on the Super Bowl show? Yes, yes. That is probably my first thought after I watched it. It was like, I wonder how someone like Mike receives this. Okay, How and, did you receive it? And, you know, I, I think that's great the way you phrase that because I do think there's something strange going on in all of this of the NFL's core audience has traditionally been the 50-plus-year-old white man, and they're going to struggle to get their head around this modern Super Bowl show. I mean, it's not stated directly. I've heard some people state that directly, but in general, they're they're staying away from it. So as I'm watching it, I can't help it, and this is as the marketing person going, is this a show that really is aligned with the core audiences? And, you know, I, I got to tell you, Doug, I don't want to see Van Halen and the Rolling Stones up there mm-hmm. again. The Who? Uh, the Who, yeah. I, I, I don't need it. The show, is, the show is absolutely visually beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was stunning. I don't know what the visuals were really supposed to be telling me. I mean, maybe it's sort of L.A. Street. It, it yeah. had a little, you know, uh, Fast and Furious with the cars at, at play. Right. I don't think I've ever actually seen Snoop Dogg perform. Snoop Dogg stole the I show, I think. I know. It was it was awesome with him because, first off, there's this viral video prior to the show of uh, Snoop Dogg smoking Please a Please note, blunt. guys, Doug's so enthusiastic, he had to jump in. Go, Doug. Snoop Dogg was smoking a blunt before the game or before the halftime show but he was kind of trying to hide it like he was kind of leaned over and there's there's been some media saying he's trying to start outrage over this the fact that he was smoking marijuana which of course in California is legal and his it's kind of turned into a left versus right thing as everything does but yeah seeing Snoop Dogg be like the coolest guy ever he was kind of like the freshest grandpa alive um, up on stage, and <laughs> they did would, look like grandpas, not, didn't they? They, I mean, Snoop Dogg kind of did, and I don't think he's one of the older ones. But they, that group certainly has aged since their uh, mm-hmm. their prime time, no doubt. Snoop Dogg, though, his persona on that stage, you couldn't, you couldn't not smile. I know that's a du- double negative, but it's just a fact as well. Okay, so here's the other thing. I, I, I actually wish, in a way, they would do the Super Bowl shows different whenever they do these almost these like montages of is that what it would be called the these mixes of these songs yeah maybe a medley a medley it reminds me of being in like sixth grade chorus and we're doing these medleys for the for the parents so i i'm not a i'm not a fan of that it it feels it feels more formulaic than these artists should actually should should do was there something funny about the sound I mean, I could have turned it up, you know, but I, I just left it on sort of the, the, the level of sound I had during the game. The sound didn't sound great to me. I mean, you could tell that these are talented folks. It, and first off, Doug, are they lip syncing? I assume they are, right? There, there's definitely at least a level of lip syncing because, and, and the reason I think is because people tend to criticize lip syncing that don't understand 
when you're in a venue that big and how many reverberations. There's no way to control the sound. The the people singing, they've got in-ear monitors, so they're able to hear themselves, thankfully. But it might sound very different to people in different parts of the arena. So I, I was kind of curious going into it as to whether there would be lip syncing um, and also whether well, we well, would Doug be able to Well, Doug is a sound he- guy. Could you tell? There were parts where I was like, okay, there definitely there's at least a double, which is where they have the recording, the studio recording playing. Um, and it varied by the artist, in my opinion, from what, what I was watching. I thought Eminem had a double, but he was also, you could very clearly hear his live voice. I'm trying to think. Snoop Dogg and Dre was kind of hard to tell at first. Um, same with I, 50 Cent hanging upside down in the club. Uh, which was a reference to the music video. Most people <laughs> wouldn't know that, but um, it kind of became a meme, I think. But yeah, so I was I was wondering live sound. In my experience, being in a like at a football stadium, I saw I went to a thing and there was a rapper performing in the the old Georgia Dome in Atlanta, and it was a rapper who I've seen live before, who's very talented, very gifted, and. It sounded so muffled the whole time. I intentionally did that. <laughs> um, but but because of they hold the mics close to their mouth um, and, and the way the room works, and I was concerned that this Super Bowl would just be a muffled, muffled vocal show. So I thought they would have to at least double, and they did. And there was probably some lip syncing uh, with Mary J. Blige, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg a little bit. I'm trying to think. Kendrick, I couldn't tell because he was his face was kind of covering the microphone. Kendrick Lamar, um, but yeah, it, that's part of it at, at the Super Bowl when you're doing that type of music. I think I think it's the only way to pull it off. So my assessment was it was it was it was great. It was um, much more interesting than most Super Bowl shows are, and. A little bit of it was also differentiated, right? It was something that we haven't seen, we haven't seen before, it, and so in in a lot of ways, I feel like they got the balance right, right? It, it's you know, um, Eminem still has this reputation, almost as this kind of, uh, you know, so as an outsider, sort of not in the mainstream, but Eminem's been around and has been a massive star for twenty five years now. Just about 25 years. Gosh, yeah. So I think they've got the right level. And, you know, the 50-year-olds grew up with MTV, Yo! MTV Raps, which I think was Dr. Dre's show. I could be remembering some of that wrong. So the cast of characters had the right level of familiarity. And it was also differentiated enough to be genuinely interesting. And from what you... Now, the, the thing I don't know is, did you pollute it for me when you sort of filled in the background information a couple of weeks ago and said this is essentially a tribute to the West Coast mm-hmm. rap scene. So I don't know. I mean, I, I came away from it entirely positive, uh, fascinated by it, really. Yeah, I think the people that were critical of it were critical from a moral or ethical standpoint saying, oh, this, you know, they shouldn't be dancing like that. They're clearly, they're, taking gaps where there would be certain words that shouldn't be said on television. The, those were the only criticisms I saw. I didn't see really any artistic criticisms or even what, from entertainment Was the dancing um, non-PG? Non-PG, I would say. 
Um, <laughs> I think so. But hey, it's 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 an upgrade from Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson years back. Um, <laughs> some would also say so. It's not like risque as anything new in the Super Bowl halftime show. It's just they might have backed up from that for a bit. You know, one criticism I haven't seen a lot of that I would expect in the the woke NFL always looking for something to criticize is there was not a very clean record up on that stage. Uh, Dr. Dre's got a history of domestic violence that's documented um, as well as substance abuse and all the rest. I think he served time, right? I'm not sure if he served time. He's at the point now he's too rich to serve time. Well, I saw, you know, flipping around to the channel today, Kennedy, the former MTV VJ, who's now a Fox News contributor, Strange World, was talking about Dre doing appearances right after he got out of jail. So Yeah. Um, um, Eminem's obviously got a history of misogynistic, homophobic, any kind of offensive language you can think of. Uh, Snoop Dogg was... There's a theory that Snoop Dogg got away with murder in the 90s, um, right prior to his his big rise to fame. And so it's not without controversy that group, nor was D- Dr. Dre saying he's still not a fan of the police. Eminem taking a knee, which some thought was just part of the show. Some people interpreted it as him standing with Colin Kaepernick. There's all kinds of potential controversies that I don't feel... Maybe the one that probably got the most attention was Eminem taking a knee. I've seen some articles reading into that i haven't seen a whole lot as far as you know we should we should have canceled these guys because of their past or because of whatever the kind of joe rogan treatment um uh, not to say seen, the two are, are the same but i haven't seen anything talking yeah, about it, the past of these guys no no it's just been pure celebration which you know i don't like i'm totally cool with that i i'm not saying i have a problem but it's inconsistent um with with a lot of things in regards to sports entertainment these days. It's also perfectly consistent with a lot of things in sports entertainment, <laughs> yeah, right? That's so. true. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I wonder, have you seen anything or do you have an opinion? Is this being regarded as one of the top Super Bowl halftime, halftime shows of all time? Yeah, right now I would say it is. I think that there might be a newness bias, like we're – 10 years from now, it might not be regarded that highly. I think Prince and Michael Jackson, there's a few that are always in the conversation. And on any year, the fans of whoever performs, you know, last year, the weekend fans probably thought that was the best one ever in the top five. I remember Justin Timberlake, and I'm kind of biased to him, and I felt like that, and some people thought it was horrible. Um, I thought it was the best ever, you know. So right now, though, it seems there's a consensus that this was one of the best shows. To me, I felt like this show is what the Atlanta show should have been. I know a lot of Atlanta locals were upset about. I forget who performed the halftime show when it was in Atlanta, uh, but people wanted this kind of local celebration of local music culture and the art that had been created in that region. And instead, they got a, a generic halftime show and so los angeles it felt authentic it felt like they were showcasing hey this is la they had a map of the la region compton inglewood um there there were references in the music to los angeles obviously all the music that was made was primarily produced and mixed in los angeles a lot of it recorded in los angeles so um it felt authentic which was kind of new i don't know that we've seen a whole lot of like these are the local guys doing their thing 
showing to the world, you know, what LA stands for or what LA is about or what Atlanta is about, for example, or Detroit or, or wherever it may be, that felt unique. And that felt like that felt historic, honestly. That's a good word, authentic. And I think that's mm-hmm. the, the, excuse me, the success of the Super Bowl show is based on authenticity. The non-success of a lot of the advertising best based on a real lack of authenticity, I think is a, might be a good way to summarize the cultural side of it. Okay, Doug. So the game, I was rooting for Joe Burrow and you know, that that's interesting as a Steeler fan. And even yeah. when he showed up in that, I guess it was sort of a black and white tiger stripe suit with the, I don't know how to, Top hat. what'd you call that hat? But yeah, the Cam Newton hat. Yeah. The Cam, Cam Newton has good. I was rooting for him. Uh, as a Georgia guy, were you rooting more for Stafford to break through, or is that sort of before your era? No, I, I was a huge Stafford guy and always have pulled for him, but it's still, I think having seen Joe Burrow in person a couple times, it, it's I had a hard time rooting against him. I, like, I wanted to say I was pulling for Stafford because it makes me sound good to my fellow Georgia fans, but I think deep in my heart, it hurt to see Joe Burrow lose. I wanted, and seeing the still, I don't know if I sent this to you, but that last play of the game, yeah, Yeah. Jamar Chase was breaking open. Burrow just did not have the time, as was the case often last night. I I feel like he was fortunate to make it through the season without tearing his ACL again. There was one hit in particular, it looked like there might've been some kind of significant injury to his knee. I've got to get him aligned. But yeah, I was even as a Georgia guy who watched my team lose their chance at a college football playoff, not once, but twice to Joe Burrow. I was, I found myself pulling for Joe Burrow. I wanted to see him become great. It kills me that he couldn't have that game winning touchdown to Jamar chase in the last minute of the game to become one of the legends in, in Super Bowl history. I still think he's has a chance to do that at some point in his career. Um, but he's, he's, I don't know why so many people like him. It's like in a world where everybody hates something or somebody hates something about everyone. Um, everyone is looking for something to hate and somehow nobody really hates Joe Burrow. It seems, although after the game, I was starting to see a little bit of Joe Burrow hate on my timeline on Twitter for the first time ever. First time Uh, ever. Because he went too far with the suit. You think? Yeah. Because the suit and he, you know, he's too cocky and he, he wasn't thinking about football and blah, 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 you know? And again, there's there's probably a life lesson for everyone out there. The 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 key to Burrow is he's smiling, right? And he's and he's authentic in terms of who he is. And you know, Doug, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I kind of hate the word authentic because it, it's been co opted by the MBA kind of management education universe in terms of you know to be a successful leader, you need to be authentic, which means being fake. You need to be transparent, <laughs> which means to be opaque, right? It, yeah. But I think Burrow comes out, and I think he he really I, I think he really captured the public's imagination when he had the rose colored glasses on, and he just started laughing when the reporter said, "Why are you wearing those?" He's like, "I think they're cool," and started laughing. Yeah. That's that's obviously real. Yeah, and he's also one of those guys that's just genuinely cool. Some people fake cool. Some people try to be cool. And we all know those people. We also, I think everyone knows maybe one or two people that just can't help it. They just can't help how cool they are. And Joe Burrow is one of those guys. So to see that guy and combine it with athletic prowess and, and, and looking also, 
and looking a little bit like Macaulay Culkin. I mean, <laughs> looking a little boyish. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> looking a little boyish. There were a lot of jokes about how you know how this kid was lost in New York and now he's in the Super Bowl. Just an amazing story. But yeah, Joe Burrow is universally likable in my opinion. Like I said, I I've seen the first bits of hate. Which, I mean, maybe LeBron James was probably universally liked at one point and when he came in the league and loses that first NBA Finals and people start to say, hey, maybe he can't do it. Maybe he's not all that. Maybe and there, there becomes this kind of cult of hating LeBron, which has lasted to this day. But we'll see what happens with the Burrow brand. I think he's going to be such a such a phenom if he can just stay healthy, man. They've got to get him some some help. He's already torn one ACL. Um so just about to another last night, like I mentioned before. Okay, I pulled it up real quick. The odds, the Super Bowl betting odds for next year. You wanna you wanna hazard a guess as to who the the favorites are? Because part of it, the Burrow run is great. I wonder how much of it is and look, they lost by three points, right? It, it's hard to get your head around the Bengals being a dominant NFL team. Um, so who do you think the favorite is going at this point, right? And obviously a lot will change in the NFL over the next few months. Right. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it were the Rams or the Chiefs. It's the Chiefs, number one, Buffalo Bills, number two. And I think that okay. makes a lot of sense. And honestly, those two teams this year felt like the two best teams. The Super Bowl didn't feel like, oh, these are the two best teams in football. It's just the two teams that, that happened to win the week before. Well, and one of the things I've been I was hoping would come out before the before we taped this was the Super Bowl ratings, and I haven't seen anything out there. the The one article that seems to pop up, and it's you know there it it might be kind of a cool analytics story, though it might also be about the pitfall of analytics. There's a consulting company out there that was using data on consumer purchasing and all sorts of information. And they were predicting a record Super Bowl audience of 117 million. I tend to look at you know what happened last year and project out based on some mental notion, some mental model of the social trends. I can't imagine it was a record-setting audience, but we'll have to we'll have to see. I'll also add this, and then I'll get away from the analytics. The the stats talk is predicting Super Bowl audiences is really tough because you think about how actually few useful data points you have. So I don't know what this consulting company is doing because how many, how many data points can you actually use? The past ten Super Bowls, you know. It, so it's really a it's a tough thing, but something to uh, look forward to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll say this: I was more excited for this Super Bowl than I have been since the Giants, my team, were in it. Simply because it was unique and it was it was two quarterbacks that. Stafford's a guy I have a tie to, but it's always felt like he just hasn't had the chance, but this was his first real shot at greatness. And Burrow, of course, being kind of the universal, um, I don't know, the kind of the, the white horse of the NFL. <laughs> well, we're talking, you know, because I think we're mostly talking about the star power and all this. I got to admit to not fully understanding why, but, and I think these guys are, these guys are stars. Uh, Aaron Donald, uh, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, uh, Jalen Ramsey, uh, OBJ. It doesn't, 
even though the, the Rams were loaded with star power, it didn't feel like a team of all-stars to me for some reason going into this. Is this is this this inevitable and sort of historical Southern California doesn't embrace football effect? I think if they had been in New England Patriots jerseys, it would have felt like these guys were meant for this. This was destiny. It felt like an accident in those Rams uniforms and in, with those logos and that group of players. So relocated teams are tough and new teams are tough. If the Washington commanders get Aaron Rodgers and go win the Super Bowl next year, it, it would probably feel pretty similar, even though that's another franchise with a lot of history. Oh, that's a franchise with no history at this point, right? I, I think all the history oh, a lot of history and no history. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. a franchise with a lot of baggage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I mean, you've got more ties to and more understanding of the L.A. market than I do. What's the, mm-hmm. like, I will always go back yeah. and look, this is a different era. When the Bears won the Super Bowl in 1985, the entire city was fixated. <laughs> Hell, when the Braves yeah. won the World Series uh, a few months ago, it turned out yeah. that every person in Atlanta had a Chipper Jones uh, or a right. Dale Murphy uh, Braves right. jersey, either, you know, bright white for Chipper or pale blue for Dale Murphy. How has the city embraced the the team? Los Angeles, to the best of my knowledge, um, has pretended like it does with so many things that this is important to them uh, <laughs> because because they're. I had a friend text me last night and telling me he was a world champion now, and this is a guy that did not watch a single Rams. I can assure you, did not watch a single Rams game. In fact, I was in the building with him. Uh, during the Super Bowl, and he was in the other room socializing up until the final minute of the game, saying, oh, wow, we did it. We won the championship. This is awesome. Last night, I had friends saying, I guess we should go out and sell. I guess we should go party and celebrate because I guess everyone's going to be doing that because the team that is in, you know, they won it. And so um, that's kind of, like I said, everyone's pretending to care because it's cool to do that, and that is... That is what that is what Los Angeles people do about everything. <laughs> so, um, I I would say sports, and I've said this before, in LA are near the bottom of the hierarchy as far as the entertainment world, uh, film, television, music, sports, live live events before that, even concerts and. Comedy, even I don't know. I mean, it might be right there with comedy, somewhere in there with comedy. It's everyone pretends, and you saw that on screen. I mean, you you see all these celebrities at the game, same with the Lakers games, but you see DiCaprio or Matt Damon. Uh, I know Olivia Rodrigo was there, kind of the, the team pop sensation of this time. Uh, those people act like, yeah, this is our team. Um, was there any interest prior to winning a Super Bowl? I don't know. Will there be any interest afterwards? Probably more so than there was before. Yeah, I suspect if there's one summary of this Super Bowl, it probably is the amount of celebrities. In, you know, this is probably peak celebrity uh, impact on a Super Bowl. When you mm-hmm. think about the number of, you know, the, the number of folks that were on that halftime show, the number of, Folks that, you know, there's J-Lo, there's Matt Damon, there's Ben Affleck, right? The number of celebrities that were emphasized by the NBC cameras. And then, like I said, I think we've probably hit peak celebrity in the Super Bowl advertising. 
Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's great for the sport, frankly. You know, it, well, it shouldn't there, be there people watching. Be this... It should be about the game. Yeah, and and there's kind of this elitist sentiment, I think, that's conveyed where even, even and I know there's the, I'm not getting into necessarily a... Um, yeah, but Doug, I, I think you're hitting on something that at this cultural moment, right? I think people don't want to see their celebrities in... I think it, it feels a little off. And, and frankly, you know, it's a divided country, and a lot of the country today is saying, why were these celebrities not wearing masks? Again, we don't need to go down that path, but... It's it's part but, of the but it's part there's of the story. kind of this overarching. They're a different class than everybody else. They're who we pay to see. Um, they live by a different set of rules, which I think is what people are getting at with the mask thing. People saying, "Hey, my five year old has to wear a mask at school all day, and it's eighty degrees in February, and they have never seen the faces of their classmates." And then they turn on the Super Bowl in the same county where there's a state of emergency, and these guys are all just living by a different set of rules than us. Um, and so, and and what, the internet, Twitter will helpfully find that picture of uh, Charlize Theron. Uh, complaining about people that don't wear masks they'll right. happily supply that to you to put right. right next to her shot in the super bowl not wearing a mask right and so there there is this i don't know it's it's hard to put into words but there is this kind of elitist um association with all the celebrities there and in every commercial and maybe maybe it's even if you look at it from the other side maybe a wealth disparity issue um, where there's there's clearly in America a lot of people that's another you know, the mask on one side people are upset about that on the other side people are upset about like why do some people make so much money and other people work really hard and hardly make any money <laughs> um, and and that's on full display in the Super Bowl just kind of being rubbed in those people's face so the, there's something a little off I think in this cultural moment like you said that maybe rubs both so sides the wrong way just a little bit. Uh, maybe subliminally, but nevertheless, it, it, it is a little bit unsettling. And maybe that is part of some of the reaction to the Super Bowl ads, right? Because a lot mm -hmm. of times the Super Bowl ads, the celebrity that's getting obviously a big paycheck for being in the ad is not actually doing anything, mm -hmm. right? All Serena Williams did was walk into a bowling alley, right? And that's, well, and maybe we sort of leave it here because I think that is... I think it's an important part of the cultural moment and an important part of the reaction. Okay, Doug, so other stuff going on. Um, the Winter Olympics um, yeah. going on. The And I'm looking, at, I'm looking at the clock, and I don't know how much we want to get into either of these. So I'll, I'll let you choose. The Winter mm -hmm. Olympics, obviously not. I don't think either of us is going to have a lot to say. And the run-up to the NBA All-Star Game. Yeah. I'll start with the Winter Olympics. I've actually turned it on a few times, and I love it, man. I The athletes are phenomenal. There's still great storytelling in there. I don't know what it is. You know, maybe it's the China Association or just the abundance of other sports going on right now, but the Olympics don't seem that significant this year. It doesn't feel like the Olympics. It feels like a... a showcase let me let me give you a let me give you a number this is from uh, one of the articles talking about the ratings an average of 12.3 million nightly viewers uh 
compared to 23 million nightly viewers for the South Korea Winter Olympics. So it it's the 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 ratings have fallen off the cliff to the level that we saw during the height of COVID. Right. And it feels like an exhibition. I don't know why, but the stars of yesterday are still the stars that are talked about. There's very little interest in these newer athletes that are at the top of their game. There's far more interest in watching Sean White fall on his last run down the half pipe, um, ending history than there was. And a number of guys in that event that were absolutely spectacular and, and had amazing stories, amazing stories all over the place. It just feels like there, there's not that it's like the NBA without LeBron, you know, there's, there's not something that's really bringing people. There's not a face of the Olympics this year. And like there has been with Michael Phelps in the Summer Olympics. I think there is a face of the Olympics. Unfortunately, okay. it's a it's a Chinese American athlete that's competing for China, and who is apparently making enormous dollars back in China, and is all over Instagram with a did, Doug. Did you see this thing that the hairstyle du jour is for the female skiing athletes who wear helmets? Is, this the, is to the have a couple of strands of hair hanging out of the helmet so that those can be, you know, that they're not totally obscured. Doug's looking at me like I'm crazy. Is it, well, this no, is, is this the thing. young lady? Is this the young lady that's going to Stanford and modeling and all the rest? I have no idea what Miss her universe. Right? Uh, there's a girl, there's a girl that another remarkable story, but the thing is neither of us even know the name of the person. Well, I mean, do is the one that's competing for China. Okay. I don't know the name. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, um, NBC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe it was Eileen Gu. Uh, yeah, she was phenomenal when I watched her ski. And I don't know. I, I just haven't felt that same Michael Phelps, Sean White, all these athletes over the years, Michelle Kwan. Uh, there hasn't been that face of it. And uh, another maybe another reason it hasn't been as much of a water cooler talking point here in the States is the U S athletes maybe haven't fared as well as in previous years. It seems like the U S almost always has someone in the podium and just about every event. And this year, uh, I know last week at one point there was only one gold medal for the U S. Yeah. That's always going to be a killer. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the, one of the other stories that's going on that, again, for folks of a certain vintage is kind of, is sort of epically cool, but I don't think it's getting much traction is that the U.S. hockey team that is made up of college players, so sort of amateurs, I guess, in the world of NIL, is undefeated and made it to the quarterfinals. You know, sort of shades or reminiscent of the, you know, the, whatever, the, the hockey team from 1980, Lake Placid, that beat the that beat the Soviets and eventually won the gold medal. But again, I don't think they're, they're not getting traction. And and look, I'll, I'll throw this out there too, Doug. You know that I think a lot about generation Z sports fandom. Mm-hmm. This is a non event to no. my kids. They do not, they know the Olympics are going on, but it's like, they don't live in a world where they're supposed to get hyped up and really care about the Olympics. Yeah. They don't I mean, care. I'm kind of on that borderline of Gen Z and millennial, and it's it's a non-event to my friends. Um, I think Eileen Gu would be 
the face of this Olympics. If she, here, if she were competing for America, I think we'd hear we would like I would have known her name. Uh, people would would be more engaged with her storyline and her. I think for some reason, athletes competing for other countries just doesn't interest nobody really cares um and i found myself watching like in the half pipe for example japan had a number of just incredible athletes that i found myself kind of rooting for but you have to really watch those people um and, and even then when it's someone i mean of course eileen goose speaks english but when you're watching athletes that speak a different language you don't have that same connection of hearing their their interviews afterwards and another Part of this Olympics is China has made it very socially distanced to the point there's not fans, there's not even family, there's just media. And so you're seeing uh, the reactions via FaceTime. Maybe it's it's not the same uh, emotions you're feeling watching a, a father or a mother embrace their child after winning the gold medal versus waving over a laggy FaceTime video and struggling to to communicate with each other. Nor is the fake snow. The, the fake snow in China, I think it's been almost entirely fake snow, um, which I don't know. There's, there's just something overall. There's a number of little things that add up to this Olympics not really feeling like the Olympics of old that, that we would get so riled up about and fired up for. Different world, my friend. Okay, Doug, I'm, I'm looking at the clock, and I think we're probably at a good time. I, I want to start getting us back into the NBA, but maybe we just get back into the NBA full on next week. Uh, you know, the, we're, we're just about at the all-star break, which means I think it's time to start paying a little bit of attention. A lot of interesting stuff out there. James uh, Harden to the Sixers was a head scratcher to me for the Nets. Like I, I said, we'll, lot to lot to catch up on and a lot to dig in. Really kind of one of the more interesting trades probably over the last few years, I'd say. Probably the okay. most interesting since the Nets dealt away their future for aging Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce years back. Maybe this one will have equal implications on the future of that franchise. We it's will got, find out. It's kind of exciting, though. It's almost time to start getting into and and you and I both will dive into this. Probably me more on the college side and you more on the pro side. Mm-hmm. But, Doug, it's almost March. It's almost, almost March. March man. Man. Happiest yeah. time of year in some ways. Yeah, Christmas is coming. Okay, everyone. So... As always, much more content at fandomanalytics.com. Thanks for listening.